0: be holy for I am holy. Those uh, words are spoken by God in five passages of the old covenant. The book of Hebrews tells us that that covenant was a covenant of types and shadows, but the reality of it has come in Christ. And so when we look at the old covenant, we see that there are things in it that have run their course, that have passed away. But be holy, for I am holy, is not one of them. The writer to the Hebrews tells us, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. Holiness is clearly important to God. But, but what is it exactly? What is holiness? Holiness. Is is holiness found in being expert rule keepers and adopting a superior attitude to the unwashed masses around us? That's what many of the Pharisees thought. Is holiness to be found in the austere treatment of one's body? That's what some in the church at Colossae thought. Is holiness found in uh, girls and women wearing dresses and men being clean-shaven and having proper haircuts? I could take you to a church not far from here that would hand out sheets of paper to tell you that that's what holiness is. Is holiness found in refraining from social dancing and going to the theater? In the late 19th and 20th centuries, there would be many pastors who would have told you that. What exactly is the holiness that God calls us to? The holiness apart from which he says we will not see him. Well, there's a clue in the Old Covenant, in that call, in the phrase that he says, be holy for... I am holy. And what sits in the shadows of the old covenant comes to full light in the new covenant. I'm reading today from Peter's first letter, the first chapter, verses 13 through 16. This is the word of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And Father, as we contemplate your word today, uh, Father, grant us in the world in which you've placed us to be as your word uh, calls us here, says that we are children of obedience. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. If it is to holiness that we're called, it's important that we understand what holiness is. And Peter begins by telling us that we will not attain holiness without an inner effort. And you note that uh, Peter says here, he starts this passage, as I've read it here, verse 13, with the word uh, therefore. If you're ever reading in the Bible and you come to that word therefore, or you have left off in your Bible uh, reading and you pick up and the next passage you read says, therefore, it's important to ask what the therefore is there for. Because what therefore always means is in light of what I've been saying, in light of what's come before, in light of the things that I've told you, therefore, I now tell you this. And so what has Peter told us before? Well, he's told us that we are exiles here. That we have been scattered throughout the nations of the world. That none of them are our home. That we have nothing here of any lasting value or permanence. But we have a now unseen inheritance that's waiting for us. That is imperishable, that's unspoilable. That's unfadable. And that inheritance is unseen, like the Savior who promises it is now unseen. But it is as real as he is, and it will be revealed when he is revealed. And Peter's begun to warn us here that trials here, then difficulty, tribulation, suffering will be our lot. And he's assured us that the newness of the new covenant is in the dawning of the reality of it, not in a change of the plan, that this is what the prophets had spoken of all along and what they foretold. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Or uh, literally, as it says in the original language, gird up the loins of your mind. In the first century, uh, people would wear um, long, kind of flowing garments. In fact, uh, over in the Middle East today, people still wear those. And you see pictures of them. Some of you have been there, but they'll wear these long flowing garments. And if that person uh, wearing such a garment was called upon to do some strenuous labor, um, he would hike up his gar- garment and wrap it around himself, tuck it in his belt so that it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't encumber him, wouldn't get caught on things, wouldn't get in the way. If Peter was writing this today, the, the analogy, the metaphor that he might use would be, roll up the sleeves of your mind. In other words, there's, there's some activity uh, that requires some effort on your part. But the labor, the effort that he speaks about is an effort of... The mind, gird up the loins of your mind. Why is he saying that? Well, look back to the therefore. Because we need to keep a right perspective. We need to keep in mind a reality that's not seen. It's very easy to respond to the things that we see. And Peter's encouraged us to keep in mind the things that we don't see. Now, now the Apostle Paul said much the same thing. In Romans 12, he said, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our minds need to be disciplined to attain the holiness that we are called to. You know, that's always been a challenge. Peter's writing about it in the first century. It's always been a challenge to discipline our minds. More of a challenge now. You know why? that pull our thoughts this way and that. My, my, my good friend Larry Baker was here the other day and he got a text and he opened his flip phone. And you know, I thought my, my brother Larry is either behind the times or he's a spiritual genius. And, and we've, we, we've, we've got these, these things that pull our minds in all kind of different directions. And it's very hard for us to discipline our minds. We're pulled this way and that. When I was a, when I was a, a young Christian, I can remember um, pastors of churches that I went to uh, scoffing at the variety, some of you who are old enough to remember, this the variety of left-wing conspiracies that were out there. Today, many evangelical Christians fritter away their time doing nothing but being pulled this way and that by right-wing conspiracies. My old friend Mike Bauman, who uh, um, died sadly too early and ended his career teaching at Hillsdale College, used to say, a negative of Satan is not a picture of Jesus. A negative of Satan is not a picture of Jesus. Jesus seminary professor and a former missionary to a very hostile part of Asia, Elliot Clark, he said that he was shocked when he returned to America. And he saw the American evangelical church busying itself when he returned from the mission field and the things that it was busying itself with. And he characterized it this way. He said, I came, I saw the church, he said, and I thought to myself, Jesus has called us to be in the world but not of it but the church today is very much of the world but not in it if paul were writing today to the modern church he might use the same words he used when he wrote his first letter to timothy have nothing to do with silly myths rather train yourselves for the purpose of godliness so what does it look like to gird up the loins of our mind, well, Peter tells us, he says, Be self controlled. The word that he uses means well balanced, it means not given to fancies, not buffeted by fears and passions. Exhibiting holiness will require trusting God. When we don't trust God, it leads to fear. And fear leads to a rash lack of self-control in speech and actions. You know, you look at the world around today, and you say, "Well, you you know, from everywhere, from the street corner to the to the shopping lot, uh, to the sh- uh, shopping um, center parking lot, um, to the halls of government." And what do we see? Rash speech and actions. What, what's at the foundation of that? Well, it's fear. A fear that doesn't believe in a God who is in control of things. Exhibiting holiness requires trusting in God. When we don't trust in God, it leads to fear. Fear leads to a rash lack of self control in our speech and our actions. And Peter says, fully hope in the grace to be brought to you in the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That, that is, as, as, as Peter has been talking about it, to, to keep in mind the thing that we can't see and understand that it's coming to us by God's grace. Grace is a, is a favor that outweighs our deserts. And that it's by grace certainly doesn't mean to quote the warning of the old hymn that we're going to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease. And beware the false teachers who tell you that grace means that our deeds, that the way that we live in the world, don't count. What they're telling you is that holiness is unnecessary. If it is to holiness that we're called... If without holiness you won't see the Lord, you need to understand that you cannot attain holiness without an effort that begins in the mind. And the world around you tempts you to, to undisciplined thoughts, to pulling you this way and that way, with, with, uh, with this fear and that conspiracy. Conspiracy. And into that situation, the Word of God comes, and it says, "Gird up the loins of your mind, gather your thoughts, tuck them in, prepare your mind for what you will think about, and how you'll think about it." And that's not just a one-and-done thing. It's not a thing that, well, uh, yep, yeah, I read this five years ago. Peter told me to do that, so I did it, and I'm done. You know, if you've ever worked with your sleeves rolled up and you're doing strenuous work, you know that you have to periodically roll your sleeves up again. If you've girded your loins and you're working, um, I don't have the experience, but I imagine that things would become untucked and you have to continually be girding up your loins. Girding up the loins of your mind is something you have to do every day, every morning, and will require you to do it several times throughout the day. True holiness requires inner effort. It also requires recognizing and avoiding the dangers to it. Now Peter's writing to those whom he assumes to have been begotten again to a living hope through the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he tells us, he'll tell us down in verse 22, that being begotten again has been the result of not a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. You know, when a human being is is naturally conceived, naturally begotten, uh, certain characteristics we know now are are set in their DNA. There's a a unique DNA that develops, and there are certain characteristics set in that uh, DNA. When a person is supernaturally begotten again, there are certain characteristics that are set in their spiritual DNA, and one of those characteristics is obedience. Most of uh, our translations, mine does anyway, uh, says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance as obedient children the original is rather stronger than that it says as children of obedience it's a it's the strongest contrast to a phrase that Paul uses a couple of times in the book of Ephesians when he speaks about the sons of disobedience children of obedience what that means is that obedience is a part of our spiritual characteristic Obedience is in the spiritual de- DNA of those who have been begotten again. Now, you know, when uh, they first uh, discovered the, uh, the cracked the code of, uh, of, the, of the human DNA, they thought, well, now we know everything. We know uh, how long people will live. We know what the, we can predict their behavior. And it wasn't so. It wasn't so because your DNA it turns out is not absolutely determinative and there's this whole field now that's grown up called epigenetics, what happens to your genetics. And the way that they found this out, very interestingly, is that they had identical twins who had identical DNA, but in some of these twins whose lives went a very different way in terms of how they took care of their health. Uh, Mental, physical, spiritual, uh, the things that they pursued, the things that they did, the exercise they got, the education they had when they were vastly different. Later on in life, their genetics were different. Spiritually, Paul warns us in Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But whoever sows to the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. If if you have been truly begotten again, if you've crossed from death to life, obedience to God is a part of your spiritual DNA. Holiness is... Is attained by living it out paul says in romans 12 do not be conformed to the world peter says here do not be conformed to your former desires now uh my translation says to your formal to your former evil desires but the text doesn't actually say that it just says the desires that were yours your former ones before you came to know christ See, Paul warns of the danger of allowing ourselves to be conformed to what's around us. Peter warns us about the danger of allowing ourselves to be conformed to what is still in us. And we need to be careful. Because for some people, Christianity is just an angle to give cover to them in pursuing their own agenda under the guise of it being approved by God. They look religious, but they're really no different than they were before they claimed to know Christ, except maybe in the religious outward trappings. They fit under the rubric of what Paul called self-made religion in Colossians 2. And of those who practice it, he said they have a, form of godliness but they deny its power people looking religious as a way to full, fulfill their own desires be they personal political or financial those are three that I could find in the New Testament quickly this is exactly what Elliot Clark meant when he decried the church today of being of the world simply not in it they just have different trappings. And externally and superficially they may look different, but internally and substantively there's no difference in their lives than there was before they claimed to have known Christ. Paul's letter warns us to beware of the dangers to holiness uh, that are external. And Peter warns us of those dangers that are both external but internal as well without holiness no one will see the Lord attaining holiness Peter's told us requires an inner effort and we've seen that attaining holiness requires avoiding certain dangers but but what is it what is holiness is it adopting a a better behavior than we had before or a or a superior attitude toward the unwashed masses? Is is holiness found in bodily austerity? Is it found in a certain hairstyle or clothing style? Is holiness found in avoiding dances or the theater? Uh, If it is to holiness that we are called, we need to understand what holiness is. So what is true holiness? Well, have you seen it yet? You know, sometimes this happens to me that i'll think about something and then go on and do something else and i'll have an aha moment and so maybe you did here when you heard the phrase we've seen it five times or it occurs five times in the old covenant and peter repeats it here be holy for i am holy human beings were created in the image of god To be like God. You ever notice in the book of Genesis. It's a a fascinating thing. That we have the the creation of the animals. And again and again it says. After their kind. After their kind. After their kind. When it comes to human beings. It doesn't say. And they were created after their kind. It says they were created. In the image of God. To be like God. So what is God like? Well. The Taliban think that they know, and that's why they behave the way they do. Do you know that in the the 2010s, after 9-11, I had one pastor say to me, the Taliban have the right agenda and the right methods, they just have the wrong religion. It tells me a lot about what that man thinks God is. being holy means being like God then knowing what God is like is crucial so God came into the world in the incarnation of his son if you want to know what God is like look at Jesus John writes of him in his gospel he says no one has seen God at any time the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father he has Revealed him, And that word that we often translate uh, to reveal is a, is a word that means to, to draw out in his incarnation. Jesus drew out for us who God is. Why didn't the Pharisees recognize him? Because for all of their religion, because for all of their study of the Bible, they did not know God. They didn't recognize him when he stood before them. Why do people think that, some people think that the the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, a God of judgment, but the God of the New Testament, he's a God of love and grace as though, in, in some most extreme cases, that it's a different God? It's because they don't know who God is. It's because even reading the Bible, we don't get it. We didn't know who God was. We didn't understand what we read. So the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He came to show us. True holiness is not some abstract religiosity. True holiness is looking like Jesus. It's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If it is to holiness that we are called, we need to know what true holiness is. A few years ago, um, the, 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 the WWJD bracelets were, pop, were popular. Do you remember those? What would Jesus do? It's not a bad question. But it holds a danger. If I'm asked, what would Jesus do? I'm being required to use my imagination. And imagination is all well and good, but it's not always right. Witness the Pharisees who said, Whatever God is, it's it's not this man. Witness that pastor who imagined that uh, the God that he worshipped would approve what the Taliban did as long as they did it in the name of Christ. The Bible doesn't ask us, Peter doesn't ask us to consider what would Jesus do. He calls on you to consider what did Jesus. Jesus do? When he lived in a world that he was not of and was despised and rejected, what did Jesus do? When he was insulted and reviled, what did Jesus do? When he was struck unjustly, when he was falsely accused, when he was falsely condemned, When he was unjustly punished, what did Jesus do? That's the question that Peter directs us to ask in his first letter. What did Jesus do? And later on, as we'll see, Peter says that as you ponder that, then know this, that Jesus has called you to walk in his steps. That's what it means to be holy. It's not some abstract religious concept. If you want to know what it means to be holy, look at Jesus. The Son of God became man, made in the image of God, so that we could bear the image of God's Son. What does it mean to be holy? It means to look like Jesus in your life and conduct. If it's to holiness you're called, you must know what true holiness is. For without holiness, we won't see the Lord. Father, give us a grace in the world that we live in. And Father, help us to gird up the loins of our mind Um, to remember the glorious hope that you've given to us, that it is, uh, as your word indicates, necessary that here we face all kinds of trials, that these have come so that our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though it's refined by fire, may be proven genuine. Because it's by that faith that we are protected by the power of God for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and in an inheritance or for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Father, as our lives reflect Jesus, as we grow in your holiness, may you, O Lord, be glorified and honored. And as it was in the first century Uh, May it be in ours that the the beauty of Jesus would attract others to him for your greater glory and praise. Amen. Amen.